Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, you fellow award nuts. I am here with the ultimate dynamic duo of awards coverage, Melissa Rivers, and I'm Tom O'Neill from Gold Derby. And Melissa, for 12 years, you and I worked those red carpets and had so much fun. I mean... Yes, we did. Yes, we did. For years and years and years and years. And, um, you know, it's back when the red carpets were fun. Yeah. Did, it must have broken your heart to see the pandemies with no red carpet. But I remember, I remember that year that you and your mom went, what was it Afghanistan and Iraq? And you, and you built that little red carpet over the, it was hilarious over at the Roosevelt Hotel. Yeah. You know, um, I actually thought they did a really good job at the Emmys. I've worked with those guys at Dun and Dusted who produced it. And first of all, they're lovely. So that made me happy because they, and they're so good. They're so good at what they do. And I think they actually, you know, I mean, they were the first ones out of the gate. They pulled it off. I think they pulled it off beautifully. I mean, they really set sort of a template of how it can be done. I agree with that. And I have an additional thought to add to that, which is I think one of the main reasons we love uh, award shows is that they're the ultimate reality TV show. It shows our big favorite stars, winners and losers, just like the rest of us in everyday life, except they're all glammed up and that there's big event. Now I was going to got- say everyday life is a little bit of a push, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I mean? Uh, you see kind of these four sad faces when one wins, but or there's this these other moments where Jennifer Lawrence trips on the way to the stage or Warren Beatty reads the wrong best picture. Yeah. When- those kinds of things, right? That's what I meant. Well, you know what I loved what? was that everybody had the people they wanted with them. Because normally at award shows, you get your seat and one seat next to you. So your parents might be somewhere else or your kids might be somewhere else. And it was really cool to be able to see people sitting with their families and actually had the people they really wanted to be next to next to them. I also loved the watch parties by the different cast. Mm-hmm. But again, there. But I loved that people's families were sitting there with them. Or even if, like in Uza Adubo's case, mom was just off screen. She just went running. Mom, I won. Yeah, you know, <laughs> I. You know? It made it very. Um, it almost like they pulled the curtain back a little bit more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And gave everyone a peek inside and a, a more emotional peek. In the and the I like that. My favorite awards acceptance was probably the biggest surprise of the night too, was Zendaya 
My gosh, that was such a great moment. And she looked really good. Fashion she looked, didn't she, she looked fantastic. Didn't love the one, the dress she presented in, but it was very fashion forward. <laughs> but I let, but no, it was very fashion forward. Right, right. But the one that she won in, which was, I believe, Armani, was spectacular. But she's so pretty and tall. And I mean, she's made to be a fashion girl. Let's turn back the clock a little to the old days and let's uh, remember some of the things that I think would have surprised people if they had known about the old uh, award show red carpets. For example, when we would look up and see sharpshooters on the rooftops aiming down at us just in case of any kind of troublemakers. We had all these bomb sniffing dogs everywhere, helicopters roaring everywhere. And my favorite thing, which you never saw because it was hidden under a tent, there isn't one red carpet, there's two. Yeah. And when, and when you go into that uh, white tent to begin the Oscar march, they either say, you go on the on the loser's side of the rope or you go on the winner's side you of the rope. You either the, you matter, you don't matter. <laughs> um, you know, and that's always interesting. It's also because a lot of people cross over you know, and it becomes so social. I mean, my mom always used to say, and I don't know if you remember this, that the red carpet is like the best cocktail party ever yeah. because you talk to everybody for two minutes and move on, you know, and everyone's, and we, I always used to say, cause everyone was in a good mood. No one had lost yet. <laughs> you know, everyone was still like, yay, we're here. It's fun. Nobody's like, you know, I don't know what I'm allowed well, to say. Well, not everybody. That's not true. I once asked Joel Siegel what was the most shocking thing that he ever learned about the Oscars after attending all these years of ceremonies. And he said, you'll never believe my answer. But when you would go into the men's room at the Oscars, the overwhelming stench of vomit by nervous people, he said, was so overtaking, you couldn't stay in the room. Really? I never yeah. heard that. I know there were a lot of, I know there were a lot of very catty moments in the women's bathroom <laughs> where people were like exceptionally rude to other people. Oh, wow. You know, I've heard about that where people just rude and nasty and, you know, and you would, someone, you'd, you know, hear about someone coming out of the bathroom crying. You know, everyone's nerves are very frayed by the time they get inside because they've done the whole um, march down the red carpet, but also the whole lead up and all the press and all the questions. It's like, you know, by the time everyone gets there, they're pretty exhausted and emotional. Kind of like COVID. <laughs> <laughs> kind of like COVID. We have a question on the screen, if you can see it, from Chris Beecham, our, our uh, managing editor. Can you read it there? Yes, Chris, please ask Melissa about her mother selection for the TV Hall of Fame two years ago. What was it like getting the news and then her reaction accepting at the induction ceremony? Okay, um, obviously thrilled to uh, know that she was getting inducted in the TV Hall of Fame. Um, you know, it's one of those moments where I think she, it would have been better if she had been alive, but better late than never. Um, you know, when I sat down to write the acceptance speech, I knew I wanted to write something funny. And the best part for me um, was looking out and seeing the part of the original cast of Saturday Night Live laughing. Um, 
at my, my acceptance speech because I did it in the form of a letter from my mother. Like, and it started with, dear Melissa, if you are reading this, I am dead. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> Um, and then it went on to say, you know, I did a whole thing that she had listed all these different awards she could have been, I could have been accepting for, including the Stanley Cup. I mean, I had like a whole, you know, the Nobel Prize. I had a whole thing. So, you know, if it's one of these. So, but the best part for me was looking out and seeing like Jane Curtin laughing and seeing these greats laughing. And and that for me was like wow that that was the that was the big moment for me. What would you say was a quality that your mother possessed off camera and sometimes on camera that people would be most surprised about? Here's mine, which was how enormously both generous. I mean, she had gifts all the time for everybody to eat on everybody's desk. So she had notes and she had gifts. I mean, it was just so thoughtful. But there was this other side to her that my most deeply felt memory of, of Joan was, <laughs> remember when we had to do those rehearsals in the basement? I mean, we'd have to arrive at the E building on a Saturday. The, the parking lot was completely dark. You had to kind of fumble your way forward to get to the elevator. I was doing that and suddenly I felt an arm slipped under my arm and it was Joan. And she wanted in that grand lady style to be escorted, please. <laughs> and I, wait, wait, wait. And, and I looked down and I, I smiled at her and she looked up at me and she said, Tom, aren't we lucky? And I just thought, what a wonderful thing to, to think at that moment. And that's who Joan Rivers really was. Yes, and, and and that she never took any of it for granted, ever. Um, I think what people don't know is, first of all, and I think that's why she was able to do a lot of what she said on the red carpet and a lot of what she got away with on Fashion Police was she loved it. She loved the celebrity. She loved the glamour. She loved sort of just the fun of it all. And I think she would get really annoyed when people did not understand the fun of it. And I think that's why she got a, was so popular on the red carpet with the celebrities, because there was this warmth and this, again, what you said, aren't we lucky? Isn't this great sort of feeling? And I, and I think a lot of that also came through on fashion police, but very much of people loved talking to her because it was fun. It was up. It was light. It was wow. You know, this warmth that I don't think people often realize came out of her, especially and in really, And she really knew her Oscars. You know, right before we would do our shows, you know, in those days she had the WOR radio show during drive time in New York. And so uh, we would, I would always or often get to be a guest and it would be always. Wonderful. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and she always. would, and she would uh, uh, let me stay on for like half an hour or 45 minutes. And the knowledge she had of the Oscars was so impressive to me. She'd say, Tom, how come Cary Grant never won an Oscar? How come it took Paul Newman so long? And it didn't matter. She didn't know where the conversation was going. But boy, she knew those Oscars. Well, she was also very prepared. She never walked onto a red carpet or a fashion place or an interview or her WR show like with you without preparing. And part of it is it didn't look like she was prepared. But she knew. Every and also. 
she loved, and it's what I was just saying, Hollywood. She was living out on a lot of levels, the thing that everybody, you know, when she was a little girl in Larchmont dreamed of. I think she would have liked to have sometimes been on the other side of the rope, but nonetheless, it was just this passion for, for, you know, for all of it, for, especially for awards. Once we started doing the red carpets. What were some of your just favorite memories of it all? And my, and let me add this to the question is your, are your favorite memories? Uh Oh, disasters or I lived through it. Or wow. Was that a great interview? Um, I think it's the combo platter. I really do think it's the combo platter. Um, you know, we had so many, you know, it's live TV. You have so many disasters and so many like, holy crap, I can't believe we got through that show. But also just some amazing moments where you just go, wow, I'm here, you know? And, uh, but mostly I think, and I think you could agree with me, you remember the really incredible interviews and the incredible moments like those, but you mostly remember the disasters and like, holy shit, did we just pull that off? And because she was Joan and because because we knew there was such chaos around her when there was disaster, you just, you were just cheered around that she somehow got through the moment. Yeah. And they would always cut to me. And you too. But they would always cut to me going like, uh uh-oh, you know, or rolling my eyes. There was always, there was always that, that moment to pull out of it where it would just be me shaking my head or. Rolling my eyes, <laughs> or suddenly turning to you, going, "So, Tom, <laughs> I remember that's... a few times you looked at me like, what? Because you know, <laughs> one, one of those times was, and you rescued this situation beautifully. We're up on that that over, over over the red carpet that I was and, always convinced was going to collapse. I know, and you never took me up on the bet, uh, Melissa. That I always said, "I'll pay you twenty bucks if you drop a water balloon on Angelina Jolie." <laughs> The offer still stands. Oh, good. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, there was this moment. This was so hilarious, and your recovery was brilliant. You had this little uh, deck of cards here uh, of trivia, and you said, Tom, uh, who's the youngest winner in Oscar history? And I said, well, that would be Tatum O'Neill. And someone was yelling in your ear, going, read off the monitor, Melissa. What are you doing? Put the cards down. So you put the cards down and you looked into the monitor and I think you kind of explained, oh, I guess I'm supposed to read off the monitor. And and the first question was, who's the youngest winner? <laughs> and you turned to me and said, well, I guess that's a really popular question. <laughs> and I said, well, I'm glad you, I got a second chance to answer it or a couple of cats, yeah. whatever how we got it's through. Like, but, you, but you joked your way beautifully through. Yeah, it's like, I had, I had already, it's like, of course, nobody's listening. You know what I mean? <laughs> They're just like, they saw me like reading the question because it was our deck of trivia. And they're like, read off the monitor. It's like, okay, I can just say this again. <laughs> you know, and there were also times where they would be going like, wrap up, wrap up. And I would always tilt my head and do this. So they knew I heard. And there were times I literally was like, like, I've heard you. Stop bellowing at me. I'm not going to cut somebody <laughs> off mid-sentence. It's like, oh, my God. I just, I just, ooh, that looked like a rooster. Um, sorry, I'm having 
suddenly air hair issues. Anyway, um, the bottom line is, yeah, you, but you usually remember the disasters. I think the one major, what's, 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 what's that? <laughs> that, there we go. Um, I, one of my favorite disasters was one time um, I was, we were doing like a live night before thing from the red carpet. And I was with our friend Todd Newton and Todd's like six, two, six, three. He's a big man. And so I always had to stand on my Apple box and I can't remember if it was a half or a quarter and live. I took half a step backwards and fell off. Oh, not just God. like I wasn't hurt, but I literally just dropped out of frame. <laughs> literally just like, wham, just like I was gone. And I remember Todd just being like, we'll be back. <laughs> <laughs> but I literally just dropped out of frame. Like, where'd she go? Oh my god! But yeah, we had some fun up on that platform. Oh god! Remember and there were Todd had and Todd had perfect timing in his cases. He was a master comedian, right? But do you remember it being so cold? And I always used to have like blankets over me. <laughs> <laughs> And my, my stylist would always have me something completely skimpy, and he would always be like, I don't care. <laughs> so be cold. <laughs> and it was so squished. There were so many of us packed into these tight little areas. I remember once doing uh, some segment, and I'd forgotten to turn my cell phone off. And it's ringing, and I pulled it out of my pocket. I didn't miss a beat. I kept talking, and I just threw it forward. And whoever was behind the camera, Caught it. I thought, oh, thank God. Yeah. <laughs> it was going to go flying right over. There was no moment for me to turn it no. off. That and I think what people don't know is award shows, for those of us who are sort of the commentators or whatever, is starts in with the Emmys. Then you get a little bit of a break. And literally, you hit the ground running January 1st. And I don't think what people know is things like, do you remember, I hope, well, I hope you don't remember, I remember the year that Everybody had strep throat by the end by the Oscars. It oh, ran wow. through the like wildfire. But I remember by the time we would get to the Oscars, I would be usually, I mean, every year we someone we got sick. Every year I would lose my voice. Every year something like that would happen. And then of course there was the year that I had no idea I was pregnant and I was starving through the whole thing. And I found out I two days later that I was pregnant. <laughs> okay yeah so well because i remember it like literally shoveling food <laughs> beforehand like and going like i have no idea why i'm so hungry and i just remember the entire show my stomach was like rawr, rawr, you know <laughs> looking back uh give us a humble moment where you might think now inside yourself i was wrong about the assessment of a dress. For example, I don't even remember the famous meat dress. Was that Lady Gaga? Yeah. Okay, so, I mean, I, I, do you remember like saying, and I don't know what your position on the meat dress was, but do you remember ever looking back going, oh, that was a tragedy or travesty and then going, you know, that was actually pretty cool. Um, there's a few. I can't think of any really off the top of my mind, but I think in hindsight, a lot of them that maybe didn't make sense at the time make more sense now in in the way of like it was a designer who was really pushing 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 the the the, the envelope 
And not until a few years later did you see where that was evolving to. So it's more of a look back on saying, oh, they were starting to do this and it didn't make sense or look good at the time. But then two years later or a year later or a season later, you're like, oh, I get it now. Do you have any theories? And I don't. And I'm I know what's expert and I'm supposed to know these things. But do you have any hunches what these award shows will be like five years from now, assuming COVID is gone and we have adapted what we've learned? like these home moments on Zoom and things. Can you imagine what would be different, improved, and all of that? And assuming the red carpets come back, that might make it a better experience. Um, I think everyone be, will be a little less bitchy and irritated. And it won't be there. And you know, you know, you've talked to a million of them. There's a lot of actors and actresses who, when you interview them or they're doing the red carpet, they feel very put upon. And, oh, God, I'm suffering through this. And, oh, this is just a horrible moment for me. And I think what would make it better is, you know, again, I think back to the original days and with my mom, people might actually have fun again. You know, what is, what? maybe people will be a little bit more enthusiastic and appreciative of, getting to do it again because it really you know it's gotten very controlled and very heavy and like I keep saying not fun you're not allowed to have fun you have to have your cause you have to have this you have to be serious you can't make a joke you know and I I would hope that that would it's almost like going back to how it was in the beginning where everyone was like oh my god this is so great I love this question Yes, it absolutely does. I love this question that just popped up on the screen. What's your favorite award show to cover? Because I might suspect your answer to this could be Golden Globes. Absolutely. The most fun. Always, always, always the most fun for a number of reasons. Starting with everyone's just come back from vacation. So nobody's been on set again long enough to be irritated and hate each other. So people are actually happy and getting along. Cast and cast members are generally still being nice to each other. So it's a much happier carpet. Number two, at the Globes, they always provide alcohol on the carpets. Everyone's loose, again, because everyone's just come back. And I think that is what makes it the best carpet, the most fun. Um, My favorite to watch... You know, I love the Globes. I love, you know, I'm so jaded and um, have been doing this for so many years and have seen so many hits and so many misses. I think when the Grammys are done well, um, that's so fun to watch. That's so fun to watch. Um, yeah, and the Globes are great. The Globes really, for me, are just the most fun. It's, everyone's the loosest. I mean, what about you? And the Globes, for all those reasons, plus it's a mix of TV and film. And it's well, the only time we ever see them get together. And they're so happy to see each other. And where you would get your camera position would be right after that bend. So, And there's so much room on that carpet for everybody to mix around. It, 
people would be so shocked to see how tiny that Oscar red carpet is at the Oscars. It's like five feet long. It's terrible. But at the Globes, it stretches out and people mix. And they're and, and as you say, they're in jolly moods. They're, they, they get to see each other. And we, we forget they don't get to see each other normally all year round. No. And also, you know, we always used to joke that it was, you know, the TV stars were staring at the movie stars. But now everything is so um, combined for lack of a better word, that there's so much cross-pollination between movie stars and TV stars. It really, and, and the, the most fun about the Golden Globes is people getting to see people that they're fans of and watching other oh, celebrities right. trying to get starstruck. Yeah. And that's always, you always people like, oh my God, I just met so-and-so, that's so cool. And where I was always at that bend was that congregating area. And I'd always end up with like multiple people in one interview. And again, we're doing, we were doing it so long. And so part of the show, there were people I was friends with like, Oh my God, you're my red carpet buddy. You know? So, you know, one time Brian Grazer called me his lucky penny because every time I talked to him, they would win. <laughs> well, you probably were. Yeah. Or, you know, the high quality of their movies. What, what are the other? <laughs> <laughs> Melissa, you and I know better than just about anybody else. It's not always about um, uh, the best performance of the year. I don't think, and I'm going to say something very cruel here. <laughs> I, I don't think um, anybody on the planet, including probably Sandra Bullock's mother, thought she gave the best performance of the year in the blind side. Sometimes it's just about hugs and who we love and who is overdue. And that's why it's also such a great thing because this is our peek inside the, the family reunion of Hollywood and the, and, and the greats embracing the youngs. And, and when you see a Jennifer Lawrence, who was a perfect example at the peak moment of her career, even though she tripped on the way up and she got her crown at the right moment. It was this marriage of show business and history and pop culture and everything. And it was just so cool. And I, I agree. And I agree with a lot of people sometimes getting the Oscar for what the movie they did two years ago or the year before that they didn't win. But I sometimes I feel like, and I get it because people are so sentimental, but I often feel like sometimes the right performances then aren't acknowledged in the moment. And I always think that's very tricky. Well, it was Katherine Hepburn who won more Oscars than anyone else for acting, who once said, uh, you always win for the wrong roles. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Yeah. You know, but that is that that warm and fuzzy feeling. Although right now across the board in award shows, I think there's so much tension of everyone being sort of hamstrung in their voting by, you know, all these different these campaigns. It's all a business. All, all these political forces. It's like, if I don't vote for this, am I saying something about that? Am I making a statement by who I'm voting for? And I think it becomes very paralyzing. Um, and I think it, it, it for, I think we're going to have to go through a phase where, you know, the pendulum swings. And I still think it's swinging one direction before we're gonna get back to sort of the middle ground of who should be winning for the right reasons in the right roles, if that makes some sense. 
It does, and I think okay. that's what, what wrong this yeah. year at the is that they changed the rules, made it more of a popular vote. We saw something happen at the Emmys that has never happened before. One show sweep every single major award, Shit's Creek, which was fantastic, but it didn't deserve to win the directing award, not when you stack it against that opening episode of The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel's directorial achievement and the rest of it. And so now that they're saying the TV Academy, oh, you know, let's popularize the vote. I miss those old days when no one knew Breaking Bad was on TV, but Brian Cranston won Best Actor that first year because they had a judging panel system that would look at episodes and gave him an honest chance. Right. And again, I think it's going to swing again also. And here's where I don't think a lot of people realize, like, you know what? Schitt's Creek should have been nominated and should have won some awards in the past four years. I but know. for whatever reason, they were ignored. And as soon as it was announced that it was their last season, everyone's like, oh, we need to heap all this love on them. They should have been winning years ago. And the reason they didn't to a large degree, is this bizarre new Netflix factor where for Breaking Bad was the perfect example. Yes, Brian Cranston won that first year, but I don't think it won anything else. And then the minute it went on Netflix and people were binging it and watching it, then it suddenly was being embraced widely by the Emmys. And that's what happened to Shit's Creek. Well, remember Shit's Creek was on pop. Was on pop for its initial run, and then during this last Emmy cycle, the first five uh, se uh, seasons were on Netflix. And you and I know that the voters don't know the difference. They're yeah. voting for the Netflix version, and so okay, you know. Yeah, you know, but you know, I think that's also a little bit the nature of the beast now. And you know, I don't really know. I mean, to me, it's going to be so complicated on how they determine what movies get nominated and now we're in this thing where it's 10 movies and I know it's to engage the viewer in the sense of you have something to root for because maybe the movie you know that you love didn't you know got nominated but isn't an Oscar movie and I, I understand intellectually the decision by the Academy to do that do I think it's a good decision I think we should have gone to seven you know, I, I think, should, we should I think there should be 10 right? nominees in every category. We all have our top 10 lists. Why stop with best picture, especially at the Emmys where you have so many contenders now? Why limit it to five or six or seven sometimes? But, why not? but I do think it's like it becomes less. Um, when it gets too broad, I feel like it becomes too much of a crapshoot because that's when suddenly like one show starts splitting everything that really deserves it. And then something else comes through. I feel like we can't go that broad. I think, you know, again, and I'm talking about the Oscars, we need to open it. They opened it, the aperture too wide, you know? Um, and that to me caused a problem. I also have a hard time getting my head around and it was amazing. Something like Roma where it had sort of this double opening and then came through and won so much. On one hand, that's amazing. On the other hand, I think it's tough for filmmakers who create on the scale of a giant movie screen. Okay. Don't you think? I do, uh, absolutely. I mean, uh, there's these filmmakers that do these epics that are not meant to be seen 
on a TV screen or now a computer screen. Yeah. Uh, here's our last question here. Any thoughts on the Academy's inclusion rules in the future? And let me just set up before you answer that question. You look back and it wasn't that long ago that Halle Berry became the first black actress to win. That's just outrageous. And I think they've made enormous progress, but do you think it's, they're doing, they're moving in the right direction or do you think they should be doing more or what's your view? Um, I think they're moving in the right direction for sure, especially with the, <clears throat> the getting younger people in becoming members of the Academy. I think that is vastly important. Um, obviously, to have a, a, a more representative racial mix that represents the, the public rather than a bunch of old white men who are, you know, who, but again, those were the movie makers in the past and they still deserve, their opinion still matters, but I do think we're moving the right direction. I would personally like to see the Academy be more proactive in creating um, internships and positions for underserved communities to be able to start to learn about the movie business or the TV business. You know, someone said to me actually the other day, um, to be an intern, which is how we all start mostly. I mean, I started as an intern. You have to be able, and when I started as an intern, you didn't have to pay interns. Now you have to pay them, but very, very little. Most people cannot afford to be an intern. Most people can't do that. And that is really one of the ways in um, and to meet people and to learn. Most people cannot afford to be a production assistant. And I think the Academy needs to be much more proactive in subsidizing those opportunities because that's how people learn. And that's, you know, the bottom rung where I, I started by, you know, logging tapes at Entertainment Tonight. That's how I learned how to produce TV. It's where it started. And then I, you know, you work your way into different shows and, you know, I, I worked at, I was a, I was a, started out as a research assistant at rescue 911. Um, you know, nobody, people, most people don't just jump in at that high level. And I think the Academy is moving in the right direction, but I think they need to do more, um, less, less worried about the, what it, what, the public is seeing and more what the industry is seeing in providing those opportunities. I think that's a great way to answer it. Now, everybody watching and listening to this conversation, if you like this, tune into Melissa Rivers's podcast group text. Uh, Melissa Rivers group text. Group text. Tell us about it. Um, it just started, I have a wonderful, wonderful group of friends from college and we have this giant group text and it's really fun and, and funny and they're smart, engaged, funny people. And one day I was looking sort of through everything we had talked about. It was during the uh, primaries, everything we had talked about in the last 48 hours. And it went from everything from, um, someone being annoyed at their kid to what was going on during the debate to someone posting a picture of food to some, you know, and I thought, man, this is, this is what I want to talk about. I want to be able to have a, a podcast where I can talk about whatever I'm finding interesting right now and not be so, you know, pigeonholed into one topic. 
And we've done everything from um, cults, which I loved, to true crime, to fashion, to Hollywood, to reality, the reality behind reality. I did a, a series called Can We Talk, Can We Listen? All, during the whole uh, protest and all the Black Lives Matter because I felt it was really important. And it's what my friends and I were talking about. And I wanted to learn right now in the middle of sort of a mini series about, you know, is comedy, you know, the state of comedy? Is comedy dead? Is it on life support? Where are we? And I've been talking to, I've talked to Bob Saget and Dion Cole and Margaret Cho and Jeff Ross and some showrunners like Mark Cherry. Um, and Greg Fitzsimmons, like all these people about negotiating comedy right now. And where are we and what do we do? So it's everything from that to, you know, my friend who's a plastic surgeon telling us all about the latest injectables and lasers. So it's kind of like what's bouncing around inside my brain. And I know, but some people may not know, you have a long history as a producer, don't you? Yeah, very long. Very, very long, <laughs> longer than almost. I think, um, yeah, I was I was learning, producing, and working on TV shows. I like to say I learned reality TV on the original, which was Rescue 911, um, the original recreation show, um, before I even started uh, hosting on MTV. So I got a long history. And Tom, we keep trying to book you during awards season and you're too flipping busy. <laughs> That's because what few people realize, and I, I want so much to do your show, but what few people realize is that the deep, dark, dirty secret of internet traffic about award shows is you actually get more traffic the day after an award show than the, than the day of it. So that's the day when I'm in this panic because Jay Penske and, you know, God bless him and, and every, all, all the other execs at, uh, uh, at, at my company are going, mm, my gold derby's down 6% as of three this afternoon. Yeah. You're in a pain. You're in a full panic. <laughs> I know. You know, those, those media panics. Uh, oh, a lot, long time. Yeah. Well, this was so much fun catching up with you. So fun. Soon. Thanks so much for joining us. My pleasure. Anytime. For you, okay. all, anything. <laughs> Same here, Melissa. Thanks okay. so much. Bye-bye. Bye. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing, and now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun, Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.